you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. Verse 18 He goes on to say, I will arise. This is after he comes to himself. He said, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say unto my father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father said to him, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. What an attitude change. What an attitude change in just a few verses. But the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I'm not going to labor long in the word tonight. I intend to be somewhat brief, as brief as I can be. Most of you know that that's not very brief. Brother Price used to say, Brother Jordan, it takes you 10 minutes to say your name. I want to bring a little thought to you tonight. There were Two requests. There were two requests that the prodigal made. And one was made before the change of attitude, and one was made after the change of attitude. I want to talk about those to you tonight. It's kind of the development process. I know this is graduation celebration night, so I'm going to speak to our graduates, I'm going to speak to our students, and I want to speak to our adults in the room tonight. So I don't want to leave anybody out. So this word, you can't cast this one over your shoulder. I want you just to say, it's not my brother nor my sister, but me, Lord, that needs to hear this word and that's standing in the need of prayer. So I want to speak to you tonight about the two requests of the prodigal. Lord, help us tonight to speak what you've laid upon my heart. I pray that your word accomplishes the purpose for which you're sending it. Lord, let it rest upon hearts that is ready to receive in Jesus name God bless you you can be seated didn't that praise team do great tonight amen 
So we've come tonight to celebrate very significant crossroads in the lives of six individuals. Five we recognize tonight. Sister Chelsea was unable to be here. So we'll try to catch her maybe next week and honor her. I will have to stop calling her Sister Chelsea and start calling her Dr. Chelsea. The decisions that have been made that have brought our students and graduates this far have been very important and I'm in no way minimizing what they have accomplished. As a matter of fact, I want to congratulate them on their incredible achievements, on their incredible plans, and I want to congratulate them on a job well done, but the job is not finished. You have simply just hit a mark of recognition. The job must go on, and life must go on, and decision-making must go on. When it comes to the decisions, the decisions that you have made in the earlier years of life really come very short in comparison to the importance of the decisions that you're going to make into the future. As parents, we have all began to understand that really our job is to raise our kids to the point of when they're on their own and making decisions on their own that they will make good decisions and right decisions. I believe it's proper for there to be a season in every child's life that the parents make decisions for them. I usually cringe when parents say, I don't know, I'm going to ask my child and I want them to make decisions for themselves. It's okay once they reach a certain point, but there is a time in which I believe it is the responsibility of the parent to raise up a child in the way that they should go. And that means making some decisions for them. And it's, it's, there is a power struggle. And for those parents that are here, uh, I want you to have a smile on your face while I talk about this tonight because I'm going to have a smile on mine. But there is a, a, a season, a power struggle when we get between the time frame that Parents make decisions for the kids, and the kids make decisions for themselves. That shift doesn't happen overnight. It's not a switch that you flip. It's not get up one day and all of a sudden, bingo, you're now old enough to make all of your own decisions. It's a process. And we have to be careful not to gauge that process with age because some mature more quickly than others, some more slowly than others, but all in all there is a process of development in which that every student must go through to reach the point where they are truly capable of making decisions for themselves. And in this handoff, both the student and the parent has a job to do. And it is that we must be very perceptive when, when we are dealing with those students as a parent to understand when we need to say, this is not a battle I need to fight. I'm going to let Dylan go ahead and make a bad decision. Or when we have to call Dylan in and set him down and say, I'm going to pick on you. 
You're sitting on the front row. It's perfect. It's easy. So there's a time in which that we, of course, set that student down and we talk to that student and try to help them understand and rationalize with them and try to help them understand why that they need to make a different decision. And it's, there's a fine line to walk there and it's very difficult. And I will be the first to admit that I had a little struggle with that. That didn't come easy for me. It was much, much easier when mom and I could just make the decision and say, this is what you're going to do. But that only works for a time. And as that student grows and develops, we have to reach the time in which as parents we have to gradually do a handoff in the decision-making process. And our real goal is that when they're grown, that they know how to make good decisions for themselves. And so the correction and the times of long conversations, I think my boys probably would have preferred me to say, come in, line up, let me take the belt off, rather than me say, come in, sit down, and let's talk about this. Because the sting of the belt would have been much, much shorter than what those long midnight conversations are. I'm glad to see you smiling, Scott. So we're trying to help students make good decisions. And there will always be right decisions, and we must affirm those. And understand that as parents, it's very important that we affirm those decisions, those right decisions, those good decisions. Pick them out, affirm them, promote them. And then when bad decisions and poor choices are made, then as parents, we have to be careful not to drive a wedge between, but instead, rather, the responsibility of the older adult is now to try to find a way to help pick up the pieces, to love them, to not too many times say, I told you so. Well, it's tight in here tonight. Only Scott's smiling while I'm talking. So it can be a very fine line to walk. But I want to help you, both graduates and parents alike, cope with the next few months that lie ahead. They're difficult months. This is a difficult season. Uh, and, and it is so very important for the church to recognize what I'm going to say tonight because we have an incredible responsibility upon us. I thank God for our student pastors. They do an incredible job. And I love them and respect them. They have a huge job. And I want to remind you tonight that Although we have graduates that walked across this stage tonight, 95% of our apostolic youth leave the church between the ages of those who leave the church. 95% of them leave the church between ages 18 and 22. That's a staggering figure. And I stand in this pulpit tonight and I defy the enemy. And I refuse to be a silent voice and a silent pastor because we, Christian Life Church, are going to do everything we can to see to it that not one of these young people are lost along the way. 
but we're going to help them, stand with them, and walk with them through this difficult transition of life. I ought to have 100% of this congregation clapping your hands and affirming these students and declaring, we're with you, we'll stand with you, and we will be with you. Hallelujah. I don't want to lose one. And I understand that most of you are making plans for college and your future, trades, schooling, professions, careers. Planning your education is not bad. Planning your, your career is not bad. These are all good things. And so I definitely don't want to come across in any negative manner. As a matter of fact, in the society we live today, you should be planning and you should be trying to go further, preparing, moving forward, working to get ahead in life. These are good things we should do. It just must not be what drives us and motivates us. We must always seek first the kingdom of God. God and his kingdom must always be first. God and his purpose must always be first. When I tell you this next statistic, it is absolutely staggering. I read an article some time ago that said that there was more technology created last year than was created in the last 100 years combined. Think about that. This is the rate of change in our society. Many students are graduating college and then unable to get a job in the field in which they are graduating. And the reason is, is because technology is changing so swiftly that by the time they start into a field that is in high demand, and by the time they reach graduation of college, the field has changed so much that the whole job scene has changed. And this technology shift is absolutely amazing. And I, I go further in that article to tell you that technology is expected to continue to increase until very soon they are saying that technology will double at a rate of once every year. This is incredible statistics. I struggle to keep up with some of the simple things. I can only imagine on the high end. They say that the simple cell phone that we hold in our hand has more ability, more capabilities than the computer that was used to put the man on the moon. This is astounding. And our students have them at their fingertips. It's almost impossible to keep up with the rapid development trends. My generation grew up much differently. I know you're going to laugh and make fun when I tell you this, but there's some here that could even speak and go deeper into what I'm about to say tonight than what I'm able to tell you. My generation grew up without a computer in the home. Most businesses kept records in spiral-bound notebooks written in longhand with pens and pencils. We literally wrote notes to the girl 
or the guide and pass them through our friends to get them there. That was the first email and text message. There were no cell phones and certainly no texting. Our phones were party lines, so we had to wait for the neighbor to hang up so we could make a call. Anybody remember? And when you did make the call, you risked your neighbor listening in and hearing what the call was all about. Letters were physically mailed through U.S. mail. Today they call it snail mail. It's actually U.S. mail. Written in cursive or typed if it was official. All of my college papers were either handwritten or typed out at my whopping 33 words per minute. Cameras had film back then. It took several days for it to be developed before you could even see your selfie. Oh, we didn't do selfies back then. We found out what was going on in the world by reading the newspapers. And a few of our neighbors could watch the evening news on their three channels of their black and white TV. My neighbors got better reception because they were uptown and they had rabbit ear antennas. Oh, come on, gray hair. You, you know what I'm talking about. I'm actually old enough to remember my parents getting their first microwave. I had never heard of them. We were certain it would cause cancer. And when my mom would turn it on, she would ask all of us to leave the room for a space of time. I remember getting the first air conditioner in our home. I remember wooden slat church pews that would pinch the fire out of you if your neighbor stood up quickly before you had a chance to raise up. And if you weren't careful, the little nails would grab your clothes and snag them or tear them and sometimes leave you embarrassing in certain situations. Back in those days, we sang from songbooks. All the saved folks in the church I grew up in were called onto the platform. That made up the choir. It was everybody. We stood with songbooks and we sang to the sinners. Drums in church were too worldly, but tambourines were on every pew. We had church until midnight sometimes. Revivals often lasted six weeks and we went every night without a break. And the kids still got up and went to school on Monday and we passed our classes and we walked uphill both ways to school. Well, maybe not that. Times have changed. What does all of this mean? None of us truly know what the future is going to look like. This afternoon, I spoke, Spencer said, what you preaching, Dad? As he often does. 
I shared with him just a little of my comedy routine that wasn't so funny. Maybe I should have had Brother Tapia come. He would have done much better. Spencer asked me, I shared with him a little bit of what I was going to preach tonight. And he said, I wonder what this generation's going to say about us. They're going to say the same thing, Dad. They're going to laugh when we tell them we used MacBooks and preached from iPads. I'm guessing that may be true. It's hard for us to imagine. But who really knows what the future is going to hold and what the future is going to look like? In all of this change and in all of this current trends of, of technology and movement and change, in, in the middle of all of this, I suggest that before we get too caught up in saying, I want to get ahead of the curveball, that we need to stop for a moment and declare, I want to anchor my life to something that never changes. We need to anchor our life to God. We need to put a foundation down that says, this is where I am and I will not move from here. There is no professor, there is no teaching, there is no analytical studies that is going to change my mind about the fact that there is a God and that He is alive and on the throne and that He was born of the Virgin and that He died on a cross and that He resurrected on a third day and He shed His blood for me. Nothing can change some foundational truths. We don't know what all these changes are going to bring, but I want to talk to you about your decisions and your choices that you're going to make over the next few months, where you're going to end up, what your tomorrow will look like, what you'll do in college. You'll be bombarded with all sorts of atheistic teaching and ideas. Your way of thinking will be challenged. The way you were brought up will be challenged. Critical thinking, they will call it. All done in good humor. As my sociology professor used to say on a daily basis, he would pick up a Bible that he had laying on his desk and he would poke it with his finger and he would say the problem with America are Bible-thumping Christians and he would look at me and class would go on. I never stood, I never spoke against and I never let one of my papers ever mention the fact that I was a Jesus-named preacher. The day of my final test, and I took my test, turned it in, and began to walk out, and my professor was there, and he was shaking hands with people as they were exiting the room. And when I got there, he grabbed me and asked me to step aside. I stepped over to his podium, and when I stepped over, he looked at me and he said, so what church do you preach at? I was amused, I was amazed at how he could have possibly known. And I asked him, how did you know that I'm a preacher? And he said, how could I not know? Nobody else knew what they believed, but he said every time that you wrote an article, it would come back to the same thing, that you were very grounded in what you believed. I finally figured out that you were, that you were a Christian, and he said, then I went beyond it and began to realize that in your writings, he said, I could see the preacher in you begin to come out. And so I shared with him my connection to ministry and began to talk to him about those things. My point to you is, you have to be grounded in something 
that when the winds and waves of life and society and instruction and worldly views begin to be poured out and poured into you, you're going to have to learn to, to pass the class without saying there is no God. You're going to have to put your feet down and plant them and be able to look that professor in the eye and declare, I still believe that there is a God. I was talking to my wife the other day, and I think Faith is here somewhere. I saw her this morning. And uh, anyway, Faith, there you are, Faith. I see you back there. I, I told my wife this week, I said, I'm so proud of Faith. She's come. She's been off in school a distance away. We haven't been able to go and visit. But she comes home. She's right back in church. I don't see a change. I, I want to commend you, Faith, for standing firm and continuing to say, I still know that my Redeemer liveth. We don't know what life's going to look like. What if the Lord doesn't come in the next 10, 20, 30 years? I, we really don't know. But if I talk to you tonight about your decisions and your choices that you're making, where will you end up tomorrow? In your college, in your, on your jobs, what you're dealing, where is all of this going to lead? I'm reminded of one such story that I read in my text. How that a young man that reached adulthood and realized that it was time for him to leave home. He realized it was time for him to go out and do his own thing and make his own decisions. He, without a doubt, knew what work was about in that day. He understood enough to know that there was a portion of goods that belonged to him. And in our text, this man that we only know by the name of Prodigal because we, we know him because he left and came back. The prodigal son went out, but before he left, he went to his father. And one of the first requests that we read, the first request that we read of the prodigal son was when he went to his father and he said unto him, give me the portion of goods that belong to me. This is a very childish request. He thought he was grown. He thought he had life figured out. He obviously had matured in age enough to be able to make his own decisions because his father gave him his request. He comes to him and says, Father, give me what belongs to me. This is a selfish request. Give me. Give me me. It's childish. It's selfish. I want to challenge every young person, every student, everyone that's able to comprehend this simple little message that I'm preaching tonight. Be careful about ever developing a give me mentality. If you go around and your mentality is give me, I want what I can get. I always want to go around with my hand out saying give me. I have no respect for people who go around with their hand out always saying give me. There's a whole different idea in people who can't help themselves and in people who refuse to help themselves. He went to his father and said give me. I want what's mine. Hand it to me. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to come labor for it. I don't want to show up. Just give me. Let it just be given to me. 
This selfish request is part of what led to his downfall. It was a mentality. It was an ideal. And if we're not careful, I see this as an ideal in this generation that we are dealing with. I pray it doesn't rest upon one student that I speak to tonight. But the whole give me mentality will lead to your demise. It will lead to your destruction. You have got to rise above it and understand that if I'm going to have it, I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to strive for it. I'm not going to let everybody else do the work and I just show up and reap the benefits. I'm not going to ask somebody to give me. I know, I know, I know. I'm a pastor. We received a call from one of our neighboring churches in town. Called Sister Cheryl a couple of weeks ago and said, we just got to ask you a question. Are you, you guys getting a rash of people that are coming by asking for handouts? And we have. It's been unbelievable. It's the season. And a lot of people transitioning from warmer environments during the summer to cooler environments. They're smart enough to know how to do that, you know. And so they're in their transition. They've learned to pray on churches. They come by. They don't want to show up when you're building the building. I had one stop by one time and ask for a handout. And I said, we don't give handouts here. But I tell you what, we have some big holes in the parking lot over on Delphi Avenue. And I'll give you a shovel. And if you'll fill in all those holes, I will pay you $15 an hour if you'll go out and fill in them holes. He said, no problem. Let me go get my boots. I said, I'll be waiting right here. I went in. Cheryl was in the office. She said, how much are you going to give him? I said, nothing. She said, nothing. I said, don't worry. He ain't got no boots. He ain't going to show back up. Sure enough, he never showed back up because he's living with a give me mentality. He's living with a mentality of give me. Young people, you want to be successful? You need to look at some of the successful people that are connected with this church, that get up every morning, that come to church when they're sick, that go to work when they don't feel like it, but they provide for their house. They provide for their family. They don't have a give me mentality. They're ready to work for it and labor for it. The prodigal said, give me the portion of goods that belong to me because he thought he was getting the things that he wanted. But when his father gave it to him, all he did was went out and wasted everything because here's the catch to a give me mentality. You will waste it every time. A give me mentality will cause you to waste it. I don't ever want to reach a point where I come to the house of God and I just say, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. Let me tell you a sign of maturity. It's when we change our thinking from come and say, God, give me, and we come and say, where can I be of service? Where can I be of use? Where can I get involved? Use me, Lord. Let me be involved in the process. I promise you, you're going to be blessed. Your life will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your home will be blessed. But it was not until the give me mentality led the prodigal son into the pig pen. When he got into the pig pen, there he spent everything that he had until he was literally eating the same food that the hogs ate. He was famished. He now doesn't have his riotous friends. 
He now doesn't have people that are coming mooching off of him because he has a boatload of money that was given to him. It's now up to him to earn. And he had no ability to earn because he never learned the process of earning. Instead, he let his give me mentality end him at a place that neared him to starvation and death. With this mentality, there was something that happened and it was the only salvation of the prodigal. The Bible gives us just one little line that tells us what happened. And the scripture said, and he came to himself. Let me tell you, young person, let me just warn you. If you fall into the trap of a give me mentality, there is not enough counsel, there's not enough people that can talk you out of it. Don't ever get into it. Because once you get into it, the only way that you're going to get out of it is for you to literally wake up one day and come to your own senses. Is this too tough on a Sunday night? Is this? I hadn't heard Brother Duggar yell at me to say it again yet. We have to reach a point. When we have a give me mentality, there is a point that we have to get on rock bottom to where we finally change our tune and the prodigal's tune changed and his request changed and no longer was he saying give me but he said I'm going to arise and go back to my father's house and when I get there I'm not going to ask him give me something to eat Give me food. Give me a place in your house. Instead, he said, when I get there, I'm going to say to my father, make me as one of thy hired servants. Look at the shift that has happened. His attitude changed in the pig pen. Give me got him in the pig pen. But make me got him out of the pig pen. When he reached the, the point of saying now, I don't mean make me by force it upon me. He came back and said, Father, make me one of thy hired servants. In other words, I'm submitting to you. I am surrendering to you. Would you just allow me somehow? Would you work on this broken young man that ended up in a pig pen? And would you turn my life around and form me and shape me and let me be like one of your servants that has been faithful to your house that has continued to work this is the real area of success for every student young and old and for every parent and every grandparent for every guest that's in the house tonight I want to tell you where it's really at it's not in showing up tonight and saying, God, just give me. But it's when you'll come fall down at the altar and you'll say, God, make me what you want me to be. God, reshape me and form me. Mold something into me. God, I'm wretched. I'm undone. I need you to start over. God, I need a fresh start. Would you make me what I ought to be? 
Would you form something into me? I feel the breath of the Holy Ghost in the house tonight because God is speaking to some folks in this room and he's reaching for you tonight. Would there be one in this room tonight that could rise from where you are and make your way to the front of this room and say, I'm coming. I'm coming to you, Lord. Make me what I ought to be. Don't let my future be filled with give me's, but let my future be filled with make me kind of prayers. God, make me. Make me in your image. Make me what you would have me to be. And when he prayed the prayer, when he cried that cry to his father, the father never looked around. He never turned back. He simply looked at the servant and he said, bring the fatted calf. Bring the robe. Bring the shoes. Bring the ring. Because my son that was lost is now coming home. I want to tell you what praying that make me prayer will do for you tonight. It'll catch the attention of heaven. And it'll get God to turn around to the angels and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a hedge about them. And when they go wherever they go to their jobs and their schools, you're going to form a hedge about them to where nothing that comes against them, no weapon formed against them is going to prosper. No words that's spoken over them, no evil that, that the devil would befall will not come upon them, for I will protect them. I'll hedge them about. I'll give them a robe to wear that will be an identity to them wherever you go in the name of the Lord. I want some of our elders just to step up and find some young people, find some students to lay hands on tonight. I want you to pray over them tonight. I want you to pray that God would form something in them. Make them what that he wants them to be. Come on, students, hands lifted high. Oh, God, make us what you would have us to be. Come on, surrender your life to the Lord right now. That's it, students. Surrender your life to Him. Surrender your life to Him. Oh, that's a perfect song. God, make me over. Come on, pray that prayer to the Lord. Make me over. Lord, make me over. Yes, yes, yes. Make me That's it, young people. Pray that prayer. God, make me what you would have me to be. Form me into your image. Make me over.